continue in our series, The Good Shepherd, and we're kind of coming off of Psalm 23. So if you weren't uh, with us the last couple of weeks, uh, Psalm 23 is a little bit of the background. Uh, as we get started, I want you to think about two things. That's a little distracting. <laughs> Did I jump the gun? Did I start early? I just got a lot to say. So we're talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23 says. I don't lack for anything. I don't want anything. He, he gives me everything that I need. And so this is what I'm going to try to go today. The Lord is our shepherd and others are imposters. Uh, so the, the Lord is my shepherd, which means that nothing else can be, right? It's a, it's a mutually exclusive term. The Lord is my shepherd, so nothing else can be. We're challenged to acknowledge Him, to follow Him, to worship Him, and nobody else. So let me remind you that we've been in Psalm 23, and we, uh, David is the poet and the prophet. And in this psalm, he talked about two things kind of uh, uh, in, in a big way. The Lord is my shepherd I don't lack for anything. He's talking about ownership and accountability, but, but the psalm is a lot about God's presence. The Lord is my shepherd, present tense. In verse 4 of that psalm, the pronouns change from third person to second person, and we, we would never use second person unless that person is in the space with us. You is not something you would uh, refer to somebody who's not in the room. So I, I want you to hear kind of two things this morning, and there, there are two things that, that kind of personally bother me. Uh, I, I don't enjoy either one of those, and I'm guessing that you don't either. There are uh, two, two things that are discussed in this psalm, and then certainly Jesus' commentary on it in John chapter 10. There are two things that are kind of universal. Uh, two things that if you don't hear a lot else, I, I hope that you sort of tag in with these two things and then we'll go from there. And, and, and here they are. One is that most of us don't like to be lonely. Now, even if we're alone, we don't like to feel lonely. So when the psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd... And when uh, John chapter 10 says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, then those things speak of presence. They, they speak to the idea that we're never really alone, that, that God has decided that that's going to be his plan. And, and we usually use the word at Christmas, incarnation, God with us. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll, I, I will be with you always, even into the ends of the earth. So there's this, this idea of presence. And the metaphor, the illustration that we're looking at today is the idea that, that the shepherd is present always. With, without him, the sheep, especially domesticated sheep, they, they can't do anything. They can't, uh, don't know where to go, don't know what to eat, don't know how to eat. So the Lord is my shepherd. It speaks of presence. And in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Well, the other thing is that I don't like to be fooled. 
I don't like to be taken advantage of. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe it's a pride problem. I'll confess it. Yeah, I don't like the, the, the street magician where I can't figure out which card is the right one or, or where the little ball is or, or how he bent the spoon or made somebody disappear. I, I don't like to be fooled. I don't like things that are fake or, or hypocritical, and, and, and probably you're that way too. We really don't like it in our in marketing. You know, we don't like something that promises something it doesn't deliver. We don't like it when we uh, feel like that the message that's being given by a politician or a community leader is not genuine. We certainly don't like it when we read about pastors who, who mess up and, and, and don't end up being what they said they were being. We don't like to be fooled. And so whenever we think Jesus says, I am the good shepherd that implies that there are bad shepherds. Fair enough? I am the good shepherd. There's a contrast there that's, that's set out. And in this particular scripture, John chapter 10, that we're going to get to eventually, he says, I am the gate and I am the shepherd. The gate addresses us not being fooled, us not taking on the imposters. We don't, we don't like fake Jesus. We want real Jesus. We, uh, that's the point of this whole series is that we can, we can dig through all the stuff that we hear and all the clutter and we, we get to real Jesus. And, and don't let fake Jesus be a part of what we're kind of processing. And so the gate is that illustration, and the shepherd is the illustration of presence. So we don't like to be alone, and we don't like to be fooled, and so Jesus addresses all of that. So here's the thing. Kind of like last week, um, the context of, of this is a lot. So we can't read chapter 10 apart from chapter 9 because there's no break between those. The, the chapter and verses are a little bit artificial, especially here. And the, 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 if you look in your copy of God's Word, probably chapter 10 starts with uh, truly, truly, or, or, or for sure I say to you. Well, in the Greek, that is amen and amen. And you'd never start a book like that because that's, that feels like the end of the prayer, Right? And so it's a, it's a continuation. The uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10 have to go together. Well, what happened in chapter 9? Well, I'll tell you the, the, the story kind of briefly. Jesus and his disciples, the, the scripture starts by saying, as they went along. Went along where? Well, it's, they're somewhere in Jerusalem. And they saw, and this is key, a man blind from birth. Not an accident, not something that happened, not him just being irresponsible. He'd been blind since birth. He'd never been able to see. So the disciples said something that sort of uh, indicates the fake truth part, right? They said, Jesus, called him a rabbi, said, who was it that sinned, this guy or his parents? Why is he unable to see why is 
she lonely? Why is he challenged in some way? Why is he unable to take care of himself? Any, any number of problems would fit here, but in this particular case, why is he blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? Because the thought was, and here's the fake thought, is that anytime somebody's prosperous, it's because God is blessing them, and anytime somebody is suffering, it's because God is cursing them. That ages old, and, and sometimes we think that too, right? God, if you'll only let me get this job, I'll be good. And we sort of engage in that thought that, that God is going to bless us if we're good. He's going to curse us if we're bad. And, and so Jesus wasn't having it. And, 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 I, and I need to do something here with the Scripture that you need to see. In, in verse 3, it says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In most modern translations, there's a comma there, but it should be a hard stop. Okay, just leave it at that. Neither one. This is not about sin. And it's unfortunate the way it's translated because Jesus says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And it makes it sound like this guy had been blind all his life so that they could come to this magic moment where Jesus could use him as an object lesson. Well, that's not it. It would be better translated, neither this man or his parents sinned, but so that the works of God can be seen in him, let's go on with our day. Do you see the difference? In the, in the grammar here, it's sort of the, the so that clause. Did it belong with one part of it or the other part? Well, the, the part is that Jesus didn't comment on sin here. He's just commenting on what God wants to do, that God loves this guy so much that he's going to interact in his life, that he's going to address his loneliness if that's it. In this case, it's blindness. That, that, that God is going to move in his life. And there's this, this promise there that's, that's very latent. Well, let me just tell you the rest of the story. You can read along if you need to. But, but here's kind of the, re- the way it went. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to help him. He made this little batch of mud, rubbed it in his eyes, said, go wash in the pool. He did. He could see for the first time in his life. He could see colors. He could see children. He could see play. He could see things. And so, as was the custom, the people said, well, you've got to go see the priest because they sort of have to validate your healing. They've got to sort of put their hands on it. Unfortunately, as usual, Jesus healed him on a Sabbath day, and that was a, a holy day, a day when you weren't supposed to do stuff. And so, the guy goes to the priest and he says, I'm better. I can see now. And they said, well, how do we know you couldn't see before? They hauled in his parents. Was he blind from birth? Yes, he was blind from birth. Ah, okay. And they say, well, it was on a Sabbath. And the guy says, what's your point? I see things now. I, I see children, colors. I, I, I can do math problems. I can see. What's the point of what day it was? Ah. And they say, well, who healed you? He's, he, he's, he's not one that we recognize. We haven't uh, validated him. He hasn't uh, passed the tests or gotten the degrees or, or been uh, recognized as, as a religious teacher. Who was it that healed you? And the guy says, well, you didn't give me his name, but what does it matter? And they said, well, the guy is certainly a sinner. And the guy got a little snarky then. The blind guy got a little sharp. He, he said, 
what, what about this do you not get? I couldn't see. I can see. Couldn't see. Can see. Was blind. Now I see. It sounds like you want to be his disciple too. So they got tripped up over the day it happened. They got tripped up over the way it happened. And they did the next logical thing. They threw him out of church. First example we know of church hurt. He had thrown out of church. We can't explain this. He wasn't one of us. He, he, he didn't do it the way we would do it. So certainly that we need to get rid of this guy. We need to get rid of the problem. So they threw him out of church. Now, I don't know how many of you have experienced church hurt. But <laughs> you're not alone. And so we pick up the story at the very end. Verse 35 in chapter 9, where Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. That's what it says here. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. So he went and found him. Now, don't run past that too quick. Because that's kind of the way it works. If you have been hurt by a leader or a religious teacher, or if you've just been blind all your life to spiritual truth, Jesus comes to find you. In Luke chapter 15, he tells a story. He says that, that the, the best shepherd, if there's 99 that are accounted for and one that's out there, he's going to go find that one. I have a, an olive wood figurine in my office with Jesus of the sheep over his shoulders. And that's, that's sort of the picture I have here. So what I put up there is that he counts his sheep because they count on him. In church work, we say, we count because you count. <laughs> we count everything around here. But you, you matter. And that's where Jesus is going. The, last week, we talked about the rod and the staff of the shepherd. That's how he counted sheep. That one, that one, that one. And he just tapped them on the back. And oddly enough, the sheep was comforted by the tap on the back. Right? It, it was the presence of the, the shepherd. It was the, the tap saying, you matter. You, you, you. And it was counting them. Because he, he, he needed that, that presence to, to be a part of, of where he was going that. He, he needed to, to, to understand that this blind guy was, was now counted. And he had a conversation with him. He said, do you know what's happened to you? And the guy says, not really. And basically, Jesus explained to him that the Lord has intervened here. And then, then he appropriately called Jesus Lord. And, and that's where we start chapter 10. So Jesus says, I'm the gate. It's the first thing he said. I was a little surprised when I studied this week because I thought that the I'm the good shepherd part was kind of front-loaded in this chapter. I mean, you know, I'm in seminary a little, and, and I knew that it was in chapter 10 somewhere. But I kind of figured he'd lead with the strength, right? I'm the good shepherd, the good part, the presence part. But he leads with the part that he's the gate, that he's going to secure us against the fake stuff. That, that's where he leads. I, I am the gate. And sometimes the shepherd was the gate. I think I, I said that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes he would literally physically lay across the opening to the sheep pen. And, and anything that went out or came in had to go either over or through him. So Jesus leads with that. 
And he says, truly I say to you, anyone who does not enter by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief or a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And so he's kind of mixing his metaphors. He's going back and forth between he's both the gate and the shepherd. And as we said, sometimes it was both. But, but I want you to hear this part. He's not just talking about bad people. And, and this thing, shepherds, is not just people, but it's ideas. It's, it's truth. It's uh, assumptions that, that all of this fake news regarding the way we work out our faith, that has to come through the shepherd. And if we let it go over the wall or around him, we don't filter what we're processing through the lens of the one who next week will say it more, who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so this, this blind guy has been kicked out of church, and now he's beginning to process truth. And so verse 1 in chapter 10 begins a commentary on what happened in chapter 9. He said, the bad shepherds told you some bad things. They told you your blindness was because of your sin. They told you that you couldn't be healed unless they did it. They told you that there was no way forward, that there was no hope. But what did the song say a minute ago? Darkness, your time is through. Your hour is over. And for him, all he had was the evidence that he could now see and that this guy who was explaining all this to him, he was the one that made it happen. I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. This is the way it says it. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. So you got to come back next week for part two when he says this is how it happens, the way, the truth, the life. And he said that in order to let our anxieties about being without him be dispelled. So he is the gate, and, and he spends nine verses kind of going back and forth as to what that might mean. He amplifies it a little bit in verse 5. He says that in verse 3, the sheep listen to his voice. In my Bible, I wrote a little musical note because likely the shepherd was singing. The sheep recognized both the song that was sung and the voice that sung it, sang it, singed it. It says, when he brought them out, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from the stranger. Then he said it again. This is the scripture behind me. I say to you, I'm the gate for the sheep. Everybody who's come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to me. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So he spent a lot of time talking about what this looks like. And I, I ran across something that was interesting. This took place, this whole incident took place at the time of year that today we call Hanukkah. So it was the, the fall or the December is when they celebrate it now. But, but Hanukkah is also called the Feast of Dedication. Because about 200 years before Christ... 
there were some really, really corrupt leaders in the Jewish nation. Okay? Really, really bad shepherds. And those shepherds allowed their own greed and their own lust and their own mixed priorities to create an environment where the Romans came in and took over Jerusalem. They desecrated the temple. They, they eventually even built an altar and sacrificed pigs in there just as a, as a way to further humiliate the Jewish people. And so Hanukkah was a celebration of the time when a group of Jewish rebels went in and, and took back the temple and they rededicated the desecrated temple in the name of the God they served. So that's, that's what Hanukkah is about, Feast of Dedication. And so during this time of year, it was common for the rabbis to teach on corrupt leadership. How ironic. They, they would teach on all those people in that generation who did bad things and caused the temple to be violated, that those people did those things. And very likely, they would, read, would have read from Ezekiel chapter 34, which was written in 585 B.C., so 585 years before this was taken place, this was written, and the, and the people celebrating the Feast of Dedication, the leaders would be reading this. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is what the Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds. You only take care of yourselves. Shouldn't you take care of the flock? You eat, you clothe yourselves, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, you've not healed the sick, you've not bound up the injured, you've not brought back the strays, you've not searched for the lost, you've ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because they've got no shepherd. But Ezekiel doesn't leave it here. He says that when that is the case, God's going to step into the scene. So he says, verse 11 in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, this is what the Lord says, I myself will search for the sheep. I will look after them. I will do this. As a shepherd looks out for the scattered flock, I will look out for my sheep. Verse 13, I will bring them out. I will pasture them. Verse 14, I will tend them. Verse 15, I will tend the sheep. Verse 16, I will search for the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the injured. I will shepherd this flock with justice. And I can't miss the irony that the shepherds who were reading about bad shepherds were themselves bad shepherds. And so we identify these imposters. The words are not words from the word, Jesus. And the most famous verse of the whole passage is John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullest. And for most of our lives, we who have grown up in Sunday school, we've thought that the thief in the verse is the devil, Satan. But if we take all of it in context, chapter 9, the bad shepherds, the guy kicked out of church, we come to realize that the bad 
shepherd, the thief, the robber are the bad teachers, the one who would allow falsehood and, and, and untruths and, and, and ideas that, that tear people down rather than to understand that, that Jesus came that we can have life to the fullest. That Jesus just seems like he always leads with love. He goes to find this guy who'd been thrown out of church. He, he replaces that rejection with acceptance, and he, he brings him into the sheepfold. And he continues that metaphor. The, the bad shepherds just destroy us. They discourage us. They disparage us. They make us wonder if there's any hope. He says, but I came to give life. So he finally gets around to the verse that we've all been waiting for. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Last week I talked about cast sheep. And for you that weren't here, a cast sheep is one that somehow got upside down. Don't know the biology, don't really know the gravity, the physics of it, but, but once a sheep gets upside down, he can't do anything about it. The, the gas buildup, the muscle, the gravity, the center of gravity, all wrong for a sheep to go, I'll just turn back over. He can't. He's just like a cockroach waving his legs. And so when he's on his back, he's cast. He's a cast sheep. That's the language that shepherds use. So we talked about that, uh, that, that, that as you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The language there is he turns the sheep back upright and puts him on his feet again. If a, if a sheep is cast and nobody does anything, he's dying. The gases build up, the, to- the toxins build up. He can't do anything about it. If he's on his back for a couple of hours, he's going to die. So a role of the shepherd is to keep turning the sheep back over if they somehow get on their backs. A cast sheep. David also wrote Psalm 55, and in verse 22, it says, Cast all your cares on the Lord, for he cares you. He will never let the righteous be disappointed. The cast sheep can cast their cares on the one who is the good shepherd. Incredible way that this story comes around. And so he says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand's not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf come and he abandons the sheep and runs away, the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. How does this not sound like the language in Ezekiel 34? He says, but I am the good shepherd. I go after the sheep. I bind up the injured sheep. I feed them. I lead them in the paths of righteousness. Guide, comfort, protect, encourage Call by name. All of those incredible attributes of God from Ezekiel show up right here in this description of what Jesus does as he fulfills the role of good shepherd. 
Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And if I stopped reading there, true confessions, church, your pastor confessing his sin, Sometimes I picture this nice little fold of sheep who look like me, believe like me, talk like me, act like me, do like me. And there's this nice little club of woolly sheep. And we don't let anybody else in because the good shepherd guards the gate. What do you do with verse 16? I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The gate was never meant to keep outsiders out. It was to keep truth coming in and lies out. It was to keep integrity flowing in and hypocrisy out. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. And the whole idea is that he's protecting us as we study, as we commune with one another, as we sing the songs of faith, as we try to pass on this faith to our children. There is this sense that he is guarding our way so that the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but he came so that we could have And it's important that we know that the outsider comes in through that same gate. That it's important that we know that he brings them in as well. The shepherd and the savior. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know him. I lay down my life for the sheep. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. He's the gate. He's the shepherd. He speaks into his role in our lives as we pray to him, as we sing to him, as we devote ourselves to him. His role to let falsehood stay out and truth flow in. But he also speaks to presence. We don't have to fear being alone because in him we're never alone. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack for anything. I can be content because he gives me guidance, provision, protection, encouragement. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I work too hard at it. A sheep doesn't seem to make a lot of decisions. It seems to allow the shepherd to make the decisions. And the sheep just follows. And some of the overthinking that I do with life, maybe you too. How about we agree today that we're going to pray and let the shepherd lead us. If you've never invited Christ in your heart, if you've never said, I want to follow that shepherd, today would be a good day. I'm going to ask John and Jeff they'll come up here to the front Brian if you'll join them any other pastors that I can't see Alan wherever you are if we'll just let some pastors be up front if you just want to pray if you want to say I want to take the next steps to be a part of this church these guys will help you 
Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. There are sheep from other folds that I need to bring in because there's one flock, one shepherd. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. Bless us, Father, that as we go, if there's people who need to do business with you during this time, let them pray with a pastor. Figure out what next steps might look like. We love you, Father, and we pray in your name.